0: In your Bibles, please, to uh, Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 1, someone asked me this morning, I think they were joking, are we done with Ezra yet? Well, your answer is yes, we are done with Ezra, and uh, we're just going to pick up the story in the very next book, in the book of Nehemiah. So yes and no, to answer that question. Some of you, I hope many of you, have been um, fasting and praying these last few weeks, and we'll continue through um, Easter. Uh, We uh, committed, some of us, a few weeks ago, uh, every Wednesday between then and and Easter, to fast either from food or from uh, something else, television, social media, whatever uh, it is that may distract you from prayer. And we would give ourselves to prayer to pray for three things, one, for our own humility and holiness, that the Lord would do his work in our heart first. And then we would pray for clear direction for ourselves individually and for our church as a whole. That we would go where God wants us to go and do what God wants us to do. And then third, we ask that the Lord would save our lost family members, our lost neighbors, and perhaps even some lost people who sit on our church pews. And what I find is that as we pray for things, we become more concerned about those things. Maybe a a concern over a matter or one of these things or over a specific lost person would lead you to pray in the first place. You have a loved one or a, a neighbor who doesn't know the Lord and you're concerned for them, so you ask the Lord to save them. And then you find that as you pray for them or for whatever it is you're praying for, you find that you become more concerned And the burden becomes greater, and the desire to see them come to know the Lord, or for God to do whatever it is you're asking Him to do, that desire becomes stronger. And the prayers become burdened prayers. And as we begin our study in the book of Nehemiah and leaving Ezra, I want us to understand that it's not just a story about some great work that Nehemiah did in Jerusalem. Most of the time when we think about Nehemiah, we think about the guy who built the walls. Well, yeah, he did that, but that's not where it started. It started with burdened prayers. You see, every great work of God, great works of God, begin with burdened prayers. We see in these first three verses that the report came to Nehemiah about the, the condition of Jerusalem. Verse 1 says The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hechaliah, came, came to pass in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the citadel, that Hananiah, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. That's a pretty dire situation. But it's really not anything new. It's not something we didn't already know because we've read Ezra. Nehemiah comes along about 13 years or so after Ezra goes to Jerusalem. But you recall even before then, at the end of chapter 4 in Ezra, they had, been, uh, they had built the altar, laid the foundation of the temple. They'd been building their houses in the city and even portions of the wall that men from the king came and forced them to stop. And under threat of violence, the, the work on the city ceased. And then, yes, Zerubbabel and others came along after, and they they worked nonetheless and rebuilt the temple. The temple was finished, but the city is still in ruins. And Ezra comes along, and he's not really so concerned about uh, building things structurally or physically. Ezra comes along as a man of God who knows the Word of God and wants people to get their hearts right with God. And he addresses sin. But word comes back around to Nehemiah and he finds that the city is still in ruins. The walls are broken down. The gates have been burned. And in response to this news, he's burdened, he's broken over the condition of the city. Look at verse 4. He says, So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. Did you ever get news about anything that your instant response to the news was just to sit down and weep. That's what Nehemiah feels right now as he hears about the condition of Jerusalem. He he sat down and wept, but he goes beyond that. He says, "And he mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven." That's the level of concern that Nehemiah has over the city of God, the city of Jerusalem that he can't help but sit and weep and fast and pray. And so, just as a a point of application here right off the bat, I want to ask you this question. What is it that you see in your life or around you right now that's in ruins? What is it that you can see in, in the life of a loved one or in your own life, in your own home, in your community? Of course, as we look at our nation and the world, what is it around you that's in ruins that concerns you? What is it that burdens you? There are plenty of things that could burden us. There are plenty of things that could bring us to tears when we look at the people around us and look at the condition of the world. We could mourn the state of the church in America and see how that the, the knowledge of God's Word and the love for the Lord has declined and that people don't seem to care about the Lord like we once perceived they did. That many compromises are being made and people are not any longer, many people are not any longer standing true to what God has said in His Word. They give in on this this subject and give in on, on this case just so that we can keep people happy and maybe have a few more people on the pews. People are in sin and don't seem to care even when it's confronted. There's no desire for holiness. There's no desire to to please God with their lives if it's going to be uncomfortable or inconvenient. We could mourn those things. There's plenty that should burden us about our world and about the church. But what about the lost people in your life? Are you burdened over your children? Are you burdened for your grandchildren or your neighbors? Are there people that you see on a regular basis and when you see them, you think, I need to pray for them that they'll come to know the Lord? And it concerns you. I spent some time hearing some sermons on Matthew 9 this week, and so it's just been fresh in my mind, but when Jesus had been ministering to the people He looked out and he saw the multitudes, it says in verse 36, and when he saw the people, he was moved with compassion for them. Why? He because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. They were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. What is a sheep like when he has no shepherd? I'll tell you what one's like because I saw two standing in the middle of my road yesterday. They're dumb. They're helpless. They will die. And friends, the lost people around you are like sheep with no shepherd. They are helpless. They're on their way to death and destruction and hell because their sins have not been forgiven. Do you have someone in your mind right now that you know? What should burden you in addition to that is that Jesus looks out and he says that the harvest is plentiful, but what? The laborers are few. We're burdened over those who are lost. We see them weary and scattered like sheep who have no shepherd. But then we look at the church and we should be burdened there too. Because you know what? We've got this whole harvest out here. All these people to be reached. But the laborers are few. So what does Jesus tell us to do? He says, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. We're going to look at Nehemiah's example here and how we can pray when we're burdened. But my first prayer is this, God give us a burden. We can look at how he prayed when he was burdened, but if you don't have a burden, you need to ask God to give you one. Every Christian should see the needs around them and to see the people around them and have a concern, a compassion for these who are lost. So I pray right now, oh God, these people in this room that sit in front of me, even in my own heart, Lord, give us a burden. Lord, burden us for our own holiness that will please you with our lives and that will be rid of our sin and not mess around with things in the world, but give ourselves totally to you. God, give us a a burden for the lost, the people around us who are weary, who are scattered, who are like sheep with no shepherd, who are lost in their sins. Burden us, Lord, for them. Let us see their end and that it's destruction apart from Christ. Lord, burden us for the condition of the church and for the, the lack of laborers that we see. Lord, raise up people. Raise up people in this congregation who have a zeal, a burden for the lost, that they'll go out into the community, they'll go out wherever they go and proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus. God, give us a burden for the glory of your name. May that be the driving force behind all that we do, that we want people to know who you are, because you're worth knowing. So God, even now as we talk about how to pray when we have a burden, Lord, my first prayer is that you'll give us a burden. Would you do it for us? So as we look at Nehemiah's example here, how should we pray when we are burdened? Well, i us just give you five things here. Number one, acknowledge God's character. Look at verse 5. Nehemiah says, and I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Nehemiah here knows exactly who he's talking to. It's like when Jesus taught us to pray, the first thing he said was, Our Father who art in heaven. Do you realize who you're praying to when you take your burdens to the Lord? That He is indeed your Father. That He loved you with an everlasting love and made you His child. That He treats you as His own son or daughter and delights in hearing from you. And not only is He our Father, do we have that sense of nearness, that closeness, and that relationship, but He also says our Father who is in heaven, He's highly exalted. What did Isaiah say? He said, I saw the Lord in the temple, I saw Him exalted, high, and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. The place was filled with smoke at His glory. And the angels around the throne declared night and day, all the time, to one another Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's the God that we pray to when we come with our burdens. He is holy. In relation to the lost, we just read that Jesus said that He is the Lord of the harvest. When we come to Him with our burdens, we come to Him to pray for those who don't know Him. He's one that's worth praying to because He's the one who can do something about it. It's His harvest. We come to God because, yes, of who He is. And we come because of what He has done. But we also come because of what He can do about our burdens. He's not just sympathetic who likes to hear from us so we'll feel better. He wants to hear our prayers so He can give answers to our prayers. That's the God we pray to. The second thing Nehemiah does is he confesses every sin. We acknowledge God's character and we confess every sin. Look at verse 6. He says, Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servant. Now, does he think that God isn't listening at all times? he knows that. He knows who God is. But Nehemiah is praying in such a way that he wants to make sure that he has the full and complete attention of God. He doesn't want there to be anything that keeps his prayer from being heard. So what does he do? He says, I confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. He says, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. You notice how he keeps saying we? Now he could, like, like Ezra, Ezra prayed this way too. He could have looked at the people and the condition of the city and he could, have, he could have said, They're sinning, they haven't followed you, they haven't been obedient. No, but he looks and he says, we have sinned. Both my father's house and I have sinned. And I think really often church people are guilty of calling out the sins of the culture as we see them. While turning a blind eye to our own. It's easy to see the sins of people on TV. It's easy to see the big sins that that get, get plastered on the news. But then we neglect to look at our own selves and our own lives. We decry a sexual revolution where we we say all those homosexuals, all those transgender people, and and all these these awful things, and these people want to kill their babies in the womb, but we neglect the fact that that 50% of professing Christian men look at pornography. And 20% of professing Christian women look at pornography. We look at the sins out there, but we neglect our own. That's just one example. And I think as a church, we need to confess our refusal to deal with sin within the body. Churches all around, it's just, you know, southern kindness, I guess. We've decided to ignore Matthew 18 and we don't deal with sin in the church. Jesus gave us a step-by-step process of how to deal with it when our member among us is living in unrepentant sin. And we've neglected it. Because we don't want to offend anybody. But even in our own families, we're getting closer to home here, okay? We're talking about the culture, talking about the church. Look, look at our own families. We like to try to fix the people around us. My favorite person to try to fix is the person who sleeps next to me. That's just what I'm good at. And those kids that sleep on the other end of the house. I see all their problems just fine. You see where I'm going, right? Turn inwardly, though. Look at ourselves. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. That's what David prayed. That's what we should pray. Friends, sin muffles your voice in prayer. I can tell you that from experience. If you have a a struggle with your prayer life, and you look and you also have sin in your life, I promise the two are related. You confess your sin, you repent, you do away with that, your prayer life will open up. Your relationship with God gets that much better. You feel like the prayers actually make it past the ceiling at that point. Deal with your sin. Confess it to God. Sin doesn't just muffle your prayer life, it muffles your witness. It's kind of hard to tell other people that they need to repent, confess their sins, and put their trust in Jesus when you're not confessing and repenting of your sins and trusting Jesus. Friends, we've got to deal with the sin in our own hearts. We've got to deal with the sin in our own lives if we're ever going to pray effectively or do anything for God at all. Acknowledge God's character, confess our sins. Third, recall God's promises. Recall God's promises. Verse 8, he says, Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah is just recalling the promises that God has made to Israel. Now, he made one promise and said, if you forsake me and you don't keep my commandments, I'm going to scatter you. And you know what? God did that. That's how they ended up in Babylon in the first place. They were worshiping idols and intermarrying with the pagan nations. And they were scattered. But Nehemiah comes back around to claim the other side of that promise. He says, you said that if we'll turn from our sins and keep your commandments, that you'll gather your people again together and redeem them. Friends, when we go to God in prayer, it's okay to recall and to remind God of His promises. It's not because that He needs your help remembering. He hasn't forgotten what He's promised. But exercise your faith in God and in His promises by laying claim to them. I'm not talking name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, prosperity gospel. I'm talking about legitimate promises that God has made to His people in the Scriptures. Remind Him of them and lay claim to them. If you're burdened about the church, remind Jesus that he said that on this rock he would build his church and the gates of hell would never prevail against it. Jesus, you said that and so I'm asking you to strengthen your church. If you're burdened over a a lost person, over any other need for that matter, we can come back to Jesus and say, Jesus, you said that if we would abide in you and your word abides in us, that we would ask what we desire and it would be done for us. Because if we're abiding in Him and His words abiding in us, the things that we desire are going to be the same things He desires. If you're burdened over your sin, He says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise. Remind God of that. God, I confess my sin to You and I lay claim to that promise that You said that if I would confess my sins, You'd forgive me and cleanse me. And he will. Because he said in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lay claim to those promises. Recall the promises of God. Friends, if you confess, he will forgive. But let me say this on the other side of it. If you don't confess, you have no right to be assured of your salvation. If you're in sin and you don't care, you might not be a Christian. Because if you've been born again and you have the Holy Spirit living within you, he will convict you of sin and righteousness. He will draw you back. Fourth, remember your identity, who you are. Verse 10, in Nehemiah's case, he said, now these are your servants. He's praying for these people. He says, these are your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. Nehemiah comes and he prays with a burdened heart. He comes with a a heavy heart wanting God to redeem his people because he has already redeemed them. They already belong to him. He's already chosen them as his own people. And friends, when we come to God in prayer, we can come confidently, we can come boldly because of who we are in Jesus. I won't give you all the verses, but here's just a few. Brothers and sisters of of Christ, we are children of God. We are God's workmanship, His handiwork. The Bible says we are members of Christ's body. He says we are gifted according to God's grace. He says you're a new creation. He says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own special people. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you've been born again, Jesus died for you. He shed his blood on a cross for you so that your sins would be forgiven and you'd have life in him. You are saved. You are free. You are redeemed. You have a father in heaven who loves and cares for you. And when you have a burden, heavy heart, you can come and say, God, I'm coming as your child. What did Jesus say? He said, what, what, how many of you, if your son comes and asks for a rock or a fish, you're going to give him a snake? Or, a, or, a, or he asks for a bread or fish, you give him a snake or a rock. Right? You're not going to do that. You're going to give him what he needs. He said, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The fifth thing is this. Pray towards action prayed towards action. This is important not to miss. Verse 11, Nehemiah says, O Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. And let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. We'll get into this more next week when we look at chapter 2. Nehemiah had this position, a pretty important position, as the king's cupbearer. I mean, you've got to be trustworthy to be the king's cupbearer. He's got an audience with the one person in, in the world at this time who could really do something about it, about his problems. But he knows that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And so even as he prays, he's preparing to take action. He's preparing to go to the king. Now, it's, it's, it's interesting to say, he says, grant, him mercy in, grant me mercy in the sight of this man. He doesn't even call him a king. Because he's talking to the king of kings in his prayer. To, to, on earth, Artaxerxes thinks he's king of kings. He said so in one of his letters, a couple of his letters here. But Nehemiah is talking to the real king of kings. And to God, this king of kings on earth, he's just another man. Nehemiah says, give me favor in his sight. He's planning to take action, even as he prays. Friends, in the fight against sin, we pray with intent to take action. We pray, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Friends, I've just got to be honest with you. My morning prayers always include that prayer. Because I know how prone I am to sin. And I need to just go ahead and ask the Lord up front before I ever make it out of bed. Lord, do not lead me into temptation today. And even if I am tempted, deliver me from the evil one. Don't let me fall into sin. Let me live like Jesus today. We pray towards action. In our desire to see the lost saved, we should pray like Paul, because he says he prayed that God would open a door for to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Oh yeah, he's going to pray for the lost, but he's going to pray that God will open a door so that he can speak to those who are lost and tell the gospel. When's the last time you prayed for an opportunity to share the gospel with someone? I want to go ahead and warn you if you pray for an opportunity to share the gospel, God will answer that prayer. So be ready to share the gospel. In whatever work we see that needs to be done, we can pray like Isaiah. He said, here am I. Send me. God says it's going to be hard work. They're not going to listen to you. He says, take me anyway. I'm going. Because he'd seen the Lord. He knew who he was working for. See, a, a willingness to act is the test of a real burden. Do you hear me? Willingness to act is the test of a real burden. Because there are people all the time who get upset about things, but they're not willing to do a stinking thing about it. You can get upset about what you see around you. You can get upset about the way your neighbors live and have no regard for the Lord, but you're not willing to do a thing to tell them about the Lord. There are plenty of things you can do. Can I just give you some really practical ones right now? Some of us have been prayer walking in our community. We prayed for 71 homes over the last month, just right here around our church. And we're trusting God to answer some of these prayers that, one, he'd save the people who live in these homes, if they're not already. That he would meet their needs. And if there's any way that we can minister to them, that they can hear the gospel, or if we can meet their needs, that God would open that door. So maybe more of you need to join us in that. Maybe you need to come talk to me when we get done today and let me put you on a prayer team. I will will send you by yourself. We'll send you with two or three others. Just to go pray for homes. I don't know, if, were these in your bulletin today? Did you get these? Yeah. Easter's coming up, right? You know people go to church on Easter and they won't go to church any other time of the year? Do you know that we need to take advantage of that and make sure they hear the gospel? How many of you have a lost family member? Raise your hand. Okay, keep your hands up. Uh, how many of you have... A lost neighbor. Okay? Keep, keep all of you right now. How many of you know anybody who's lost? Period. Okay. this should be everybody in the room. It's a simple way to open the door. Hey, where are you going to church for Easter this year? Well, we're having service. Why don't you come to Simmons Grove? Oh, and here, take one of these too. It's a little thing about the meaning of Easter. Just leave it in their hand. They come to church. They hear the pastor preach the gospel after the service. You say, hey, what would you think about that? Do you believe that message? I just gave you an easy way to tell the gospel. Okay? I set the table. All you have to do is ask. Seek an opportunity to tell someone the good news about Jesus. Pray for lost people by name. Ask God to give you His heart for the lost. If you don't feel like you're concerned for lost people like you should be, ask the Lord to do it. He will answer that prayer. My prayer every day is, Lord, give me your heart for lost people. And he is. Gradually giving me more and more of a burden, a desire to see people saved. And he's increasing my boldness to tell people, see, it's easy to preach in here. Y'all expect me to. In fact, you pay me to. When I step outside these doors, nobody wants to hear what I have to say. But I found that as I pray for opportunities and pray for boldness and pray for concern, that God is opening more and more doors and he's making me more and more bold to open my mouth and tell the gospel. And he'll do it for you. He will pray towards action. Let me, just hear me with this. I started with this, I'm going to finish with this. Great works of God begin with burdened prayers. Great works of God begin with burdened prayers. Would you ask God to give you a burden for the things around you that you see that are in ruins? Whether that's a big picture for our country or whether it's for your family or our church or your neighbor, anything like that, anything you see around you, you have a concern for. Would you ask God to give you a burden for those things? And then would you take that burden to God in fasting and prayer? Maybe you didn't start with us a few weeks ago when we started fasting once a week and praying for these things. Maybe you need to start this week. It's okay, you can do it. Jump in, skip a meal, skip two meals, turn off the television, t- shut your phone down for a little while. Whatever you do, take away all the distractions and give your attention to the Lord and to prayer. Great works of God begin with burden prayers. Now maybe you're here and your burden is your own sin. And maybe you're carrying that weight because you're not a Christian. You've never been born again. You never had your sins forgiven. You know that you're a sinner. You're lost. You feel the weight of your guilt. And you know that if you died today, you would open your eyes in torment in hell. God's judgment is on you and that burden is heavy. Do you feel it? Here's what Jesus says to you come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, Jesus says, and my burden is light. That's his invitation to those who are burdened by sin. Just come to him. You stand under the judgment of God because God is just, and He's good, and He must punish sin. But Jesus loved you so much that He took your punishment upon Himself when He died on the cross. You deserve punishment and death, but Jesus died in your place. All the punishment, all the judgment that's owed to you was poured out by God the Father on Jesus when He died. Just before He died. But just before he died he cried out, "It is finished." What he meant by that was that your sin is totally completely taken care of. You can lay your burden down at his feet and walk away free. John Bunyan wrote an allegory of the Christian life. You've probably read it called called Pilgrim's Progress. And he wrote this. It was about a dream. He said, So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, came up to the cross, his burden loosed off his shoulders and fell off his back and began to tumble and continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in, and I saw it no more. And Bunyan continued to write, he said, Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, He hath given me rest by his sorrow. And life by his death. That's what Jesus offers you. Relief from the sorrows and the heartaches of sin. And life by his death. Bow your heads with me. We're going to pray in just a moment. And in this time of prayer, let me me invite you to do one of three things here. One, if you've been indifferent to the ruins around you, the state of the church, the number of lost people who are on their way to hell, or even the sin of your own life that you haven't dealt with, I want you to pray right now and ask God to give you a burden for the things that He cares about. Pray and ask God to give you a burden for the things that he cares about. Second, if you, if you have a burden, can I just say I thank God for that? Let that burden drive you to your knees. God wants to use your burdened prayers to do great works. Do you believe that? So take that burden to him now and tell him all about it in prayer. Third, if you're burdened by your sin and need to be forgiven and set free, right now, confess your sin to God. Tell him how sorry you are for it. Tell him that you believe in Jesus who died for you and rose from the dead so that you could be saved. Ask him to forgive you because he promised he would. Father, would you give us a burden? for the things you care about. Let those burdens drive us to our knees that we may seek your face in prayer and earnestly desire your help. And Lord, for whoever is here who is still in their sins, I pray that they would confess their sins, repent, turn away from them, and put their trust in Jesus alone today. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.